this working with different others always has this double sense that I think I need to work with you, but I also think that I mustn't. The, for me, the clue is given by the way you ask the question, and uh, I pick up on it because people always ask me the question with the same word, which is, how can we get people to? Or how can I make people do X? And for me, the starting point is you can't get people to do anything. You have to wait until they've hit their head on the wall and realize this just isn't going to work. This is the Next Generation Education. We're talking to top entrepreneurs, thought leaders, international disruptors, while focusing on lifelong learning and how education can and needs to adapt in our modern world. You're listening to Start Ed Up. Here's your host, Don Wedrick. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start It Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. Today, we have on author Adam Kahane author of the book, Collaborating with the Enemy, How to Work with People You Don't Agree With or That You Like or Trust. Adam is the director of Rio's Partners, an international social enterprise that helps people move forward together on their most important and difficult issues. This episode, I think, is important in the sense that I think that we're at a time, both politically and socially, that it's, it, it seems as though a lot of people are our enemy, and we get into that, you know, because collaborating with the enemy is something that people just don't want to address. Uh, there are times, it seems as though, that if you collaborate, it is seen as a compromise, and I think a lot of things that aren't getting done, and the things that I do not like, which is politics, that collaboration is seen as awful or bad for some, especially on the inside. So for these reasons, we kind of get into this, and Adam is very, very careful and very measured. He's a very well-thought-out guy, and um, you know how I am. I like to push back, and so this had a lot of fun, lively conversation, especially towards the end when we start talking about a politicizing of natural disasters and education. So I think that you're going to love this one. Uh, check out Adam's work. Check out his book. It's on Amazon. But also make sure you go to the Facebook page and let us know what you think. That's facebook.com slash startedup. All right. Dig in. Take some notes. Without further ado, Adam Kahane. All right. Joining me now is Adam Kahane. Adam, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. All right. So you came recommended and uh, the subtitle of your book, I'm already loving. Uh, we'll get into your book and all that good stuff here in a second. But first of all, introduce yourself and uh, give us a little bit of background on you. Well, my name's Adam Kahane. I'm uh, originally from Montreal in Canada and uh, have been working well for for the past 25 years, uh, helping people work together who really need to work together, even if they prefer not to, um, and doing that, yeah, on all kinds of issues all over the world. I'm a director of a global company called Rios Partners, and that's what we do: help people work on their most important and intractable challenges. Well, it seems like the world is filled with that right now. Um, so what made you get to this point? Why do you, um, 
have the challenge of people that don't really want to work together, try to work together. And, and obviously, you know, where I'm going to go with this on the obvious, but what, what, what drew you to this? Well, it's, uh, I, I fell into it really quite by accident. 25 years ago, I was working at Shell in, in the, their headquarters in London. And uh, Shell has a, a method of doing strategy, thinking about what, what could happen called scenario planning. And out of the blue, we were asked to help a team in South Africa that was trying to think about the future of South Africa and how to move from apartheid to democracy. And uh, in September 1991, I found myself uh, leading a study team on this subject. But the interesting thing was that the team was made up of people from all over the society, uh, uh, business people, academics, trade unionists, community leaders, politicians, and both from the establishment and from the the opposition, including Nelson Mandela's African National Congress, which had just been legalized. So black and white, uh, left and right, opposition and establishment. And it, the experience, as you might imagine, just blew me away to see that these people who had literally been shooting at each other uh, in a problem that really nobody thought could be solved, the problem of racial subjugation in South Africa, uh, it turns out we're, we're able to think together and talk together and laugh together and figure lots of stuff out. So I quit my job and started doing that kind of work full time. So that, that's how I got into this business about uh, helping people work together and I discovered that there's lots of things that whether it's about politics or economics or jobs or or the environment or healthcare that really the only way to make progress is to work with people from across the whole system not just with your your friends and colleagues so that's how I got into this idea about collaboration and the I guess the other half of it which is what led me to the current book, is I found that this was possible, that you can do this even in the most extreme situations, uh, but it's really not as straightforward or as easy as it's often made out to be. And so I thought I should write something about uh, how to do it. It's simple, but it's not easy. And so I wrote a book about, well, how do you do this in practice? Yeah. So the one thing though, that I, I think that a lot of people are, are scratching their heads on is that, you know, when you get, and I guess maybe the answer is getting people together. Um, but it seems like there's so many, we're divided in so many ways. Right. Um, and, and, if people are just throwing insults on social media, and maybe that's also part of the problem, um, how do you bring people together in the first place when they're so divided? Because I, I I've never seen things worse. Uh, and yeah. and and, I'm, and mind you, I'm I'm a I'm at the ripe old age of forty five, but you know when there was disagreement, there was always sports, or yeah. there was always a beer. Or there was always, a, and, and so now through identity politics, 
there are some people that I, well, heck, I've seen marriages ended on Facebook because oh. they supported Trump or they believe Obama did a blah, blah, blah. And, and, and we're so divided. Um, I, I guess, you know, when you can get them in the same room at the same time, maybe that's where the healing process can begin. But how do you get them into the same room at the same time? Yeah, well, let me uh, back up two steps. Um, I have the feeling that not only is collaboration working together more important than ever, and at the same time, as you've just said, it's more difficult than ever. So there's almost this widening gap between what we need to do to address the problems we have and what we're prepared to do. So that's my starting point. And, and maybe one of the most important things to say about this is that it's not the only option. In fact, the more common option, the, the, I think the default option <clears throat> for a lot of people in a lot of contexts is, uh, um, let me just try to force you to do it my way. Um, so I, I may think I know what needs to happen here, and if I can get you to do it my way, um, with my ideas or my money or my guns or my votes, whatever, if I can make things the way I want it to be, no matter what you want, in a lot of circumstances, that's people's number one option. And uh, it's only when that doesn't work, or often it's only when that doesn't work, uh, that people are willing to try to work together even with their opponents. So to answer your question about how to get people in the room, I don't think people are willing to come into the, the room until they've already figured out that they can't get their way, that they can't make things the way they want them to be just on their own. And as long as we're in a circumstance where I think if I just push and mobilize and and campaign and shout, I can get it to be the way I want it to be. I won't bother to come into the room. And there's lots of circumstances, yeah. whether it's in the U.S. or or the Middle East or, or or all kinds of settings where people are still trying to make the forcing option work. Yeah, but so it sounds low like they need to either hit bottom or they need to realize that they can't do it on their own. I see so much stubbornness that I, I, I've seen people like, you know, it, it would rather die than admit defeat kind of attitude. I mean, it's really toxic right now. And, and, and I don't care, like pick your area. Yeah. You know, I, education, race relations, the economy, drug legalization. I mean, healthcare. Everything is so polarizing right now and everything is, yeah, and, and it's, of course it's for, for a libertarian like myself, I look at both sides and go, oh, come on. Mm. You know, the, the last president just had the same idea and you loved it then and now you, and then, you know, oh, come on. You, you, you were, you know, 10 years ago saying the same thing. How do you get somebody to say, okay, I can't move on without this? We, we have to work together. Is this complete carnage? Do we have to have a natural disaster or some sort of a, a, a you know, horrible event to bond around? Um, or, you know, 
how, yeah, how do you get to people to admit defeat or say that I need help or we need to collaborate? Yeah. Well, I mean, this whole question of a natural disaster is something interesting and worth paying attention to. We've had a lot of natural disasters in the last week in the U.S. and also in with the big earthquakes in Mexico. And I'm doing a lot of work in Mexico these days, and I'm very interested to see how the this tragedy and and widespread misery uh, of people having lost their homes uh, because of the earthquake is enabling people to come together who who I know a few weeks ago weren't. So, so there is something interesting about a natural disaster. And I guess the question I have is how do you get that effect uh, without the natural disaster? Yeah. I agree with you entirely about the current situation. And I would say it's not just polarization. In many cases, it's demonization. It's not just that I disagree with you, I actually think, it's not just I think you're wrong, I think you're the devil, you're evil. <laughs> and when, when it gets amplified to that level, then, uh, then it gets difficult because then I mustn't collaborate with you. Uh, it, would be, it would be unethical. And the, the title of this book, Collaborating with the Enemy, is deliberately playing on the fact that uh, collaboration has two meanings. The ordinary meaning is simply to work together, but uh, from the Second World War, we have this other meaning of the word, to be a collaborator, like uh, you know French civilians who, uh, who collaborated with the Nazis. To be a collaborator is the worst kind of treason there is. And what I'm pointing out is that this working with different others always has this double sense that I think I need to work with you, but I also think that I mustn't. The, for me, the clue is given by the way you ask the question, and uh, I pick up on it because people always ask me the question with the same word, which is, how can we get people to? Or how can I make people do X. And for me, the starting point is you can't get people to do anything. You have to wait until they've hit their head on the wall and realize this just isn't going to work. Uh, I, uh, and at that point, they're, they're, uh, that's the point where, I, where there's all, often an openness to, gosh, you know, I've been hitting my head against the wall on this issue for however many weeks or years, I'm not getting anywhere. Maybe I could try something different and maybe I'd even be willing to try working with those people. Yeah. I'm, I'm over here scratching my head because this is, it's so difficult. And I, and I like the fact that, you know, you've written a book about it and, and heck, I, I like the title even and better. Um, but I, I have never in all of my years and I'll, I'll, I'll say this. It's been interesting. Uh, this week, and uh, depending on when I release this, but this week PBS uh, released the Vietnam the Vietnam um, documentary with Ken, Bur Ken Burns, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's just so interesting to see, in some ways, how little has changed. Mm. Um, that you know, there's always polarization. There's always you know different sides, 
But it seems though that that if and when we're ready to start working together, and this is just an observation, but it seems as though that the, the one entity that's really capitalizing off this, the one that's really enjoying stirring that pot, is the United States media. Yeah. Uh, I mean, bad. Uh, like, e- even when th- some things are good. Okay, so you, exa- like, for example, um, you talked about demonization. You, something as simple as a, a natural disaster. Uh, I remember when, and again, I'm about as centrist as you can find. Mm. So the the hurricane um, that that hit the New Orleans area, uh, George Bush was the worst person in the world because they didn't act quick enough. He was mm. a monster. The, you know, mm. then then the you know there's been some natural disasters when when Obama was was in office and you know the the people on the right, well, how just terrible and heartless he was. It, it it's so <laughs> something is as simple as rallying around an earthquake or a tsunami or a, a hurricane, you would think that we'd put politics aside. But even then, like you said, the demonization uh, is, is just so frustrating. And, and, in, and in, in my case, like th- this is really where it gets a head scratcher for me. I'm in education. Mm-hmm. Now you would think, you would think that doing what's right for kids should be fairly straightforward. Doing what's right for kids. But that too has become so over the top political um, based on which lens you look through. Um, having these dialogues is proving to be really, really difficult without it having to be hijacked by either social media or traditional US media yeah. with like, hey, you know, there's some progress made. And then all of a sudden, you know, the potsters on the right or the left are, are making it worse. Um, how are we going to filter through that noise on the media side? Yeah. Well, I think you're right to underline the role of the media and this huge shift in the last uh, decade or two from there being common media that most people were getting their news from the same place and their understanding of the world from the same place to this enormously fragmented media where um, I'm just hearing, I'm just hearing explanations and news from one side. So that's really changed things. And that's certainly part of the, the fragmentation and, and, and polarization and demonization. That's that's, something that really has changed. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like there's so many news outlets now and bloggers. Like when Walter Cronkite delivered something to the nation, the nation listened to Walter Cronkite. Now, just looking at the math side of it, you know, there was like three news outlets. And if they were all biased, then, you know, it's good to have choice kind of thing. You know, it's great. In some ways you're like, I'm, I'm glad that there's, yeah. 28,000 bloggers writing about politics. However, everybody has that confirmation bias and I don't see enough people saying, hey, I'm going to read something from Politico today. I'm going to yeah. read something from Drudge today and from MSNBC. I don't see that kind of balance. So I only see people going that confirmation bias and saying, I'm only going to get my news from Drudge. Or I'm only going to get my news from MSNBC. Yeah. So I think that's really part of the story. And uh, it's interesting for me to listen to you. I I went to university in the U.S. and I, 
I've worked a good part of my career in the U.S., but right now I'm sitting listening to you describe the situation you're in from from outside your borders, and maybe it's important to say that there's a way in which this phenomena is is as or more extreme in the U.S. as anywhere in the world, and uh, and that's frightening for the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think uh, I'm uh, the all the openings I've seen, and I've uh, I've worked on everything everywhere from from healthcare in the U.S. to water in Canada to education in Brazil to the civil war in Colombia. I mean, all the all the openings I've seen have come from people reaching the point, no, well, people, particularly leaders, leaders of different institutions or sectors or organizations, reaching the point where they, they see that they're just not going to be able to get where they want to go with what they're doing. And that's the point when... Uh, this collaboration is possible. And I think this, the thing that's most surprising about all of this is it turns out, contrary to popular belief, that it actually is possible to work together with people you don't agree with or like or trust. So in a way, what I'm saying is the bar is lower than you think it is. You don't have to yeah. agree on everything. You don't have to like each other. You don't even have to trust each other to be able to talk about what's going on here and what's some stuff we could try out. So in a way, the message is it's not as hard as you think. I wouldn't disagree with that. Matter of fact, I want your insights. You're doing a lot of work in third world countries. And um, I've talked to some other people. Actually, one of my favorites was Jocko Wilnick. And you know, one of his responses was like, we're so comfortable and we lack such little things that we now can obsess over little yeah. things. Like we're not in survival mode. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be with power. I mean, seriously, a bad day is like our internet connection is really bad. And, and mind you, I'm, I'm like making broad strokes here with my brush. And I know that some people have it worse. You know, some people have it way worse. There's varying degrees, but I dare say nobody in the United States is going through what anybody is going through in say South Sudan. Um, yet, you know, you obviously travel to enough places that spirit of overcoming, um, is out of necessity. So is, is there, um, man, I, you know, I almost well, wish there was a way that we could empathize with that and, and, and say, okay, you know, things could be better here, but let's start collaborating and, and work towards a greater goal and, and then turn off your Twitter in the next hour so we can actually collaborate. Yeah. Well, let me let me just handle that backwards. Uh, yes, when I um, run these uh, these workshops to deal with these issues, the f the most important thing—it's uh, a small thing, but it's a it's an important thing—is can we turn off our phones for the next few hours so that we can uh, be here and really talk and figure out what to do. So uh, another thing that's new in the world uh, and that is making things more difficult 
is that uh, often we're only half here because of these uh, phones that connect us to what's going on somewhere else. So it sounds like a minor thing, but actually to work on difficult issues where there's big disagreements and they're complex, the first thing you've got to do is to turn off the phone and pay attention. Yeah. So, but anyhow, going back to your, your, uh, your larger point, um, I'm not sure that things in the U S are so much better are so much better than other places as, uh, Americans think they are, but there is very, one very important, uh, difference or one very important fact, which makes things difficult <clears throat> is that, um, places like the U S work for the powers that be. So even though they may not be working for everybody, they're working for uh, enough of the people with power that those people are reluctant to change. Um, and so it's the, again, it's the fragmentation, the, the I'm okay, maybe you're not okay, but I'm okay, so why should I do something different? So it's not that things are so much better on average in the U.S., but they're but the U.S. and the same is true of Canada. Um, things are working okay for the people who would need to change for them to be different, and this is really a serious impediment to uh, to to changing things. Uh, that uh, whereas you know in Mexico, to take the example, I. Uh, I was citing a few minutes ago, um, uh, the situation is dangerous economically, politically, from a security point of view, etc. The situation is dangerous for enough people, including the powers that be, that there is a sense, look, we've really got to get together to try to change things because this isn't going to work for any of us. Yeah. And that's the sense that I think is often difficult to to find um, in countries like the U.S. and Canada. I remember there was a, actually alluded to it on a uh, podcast a couple weeks ago. I'm almost positive it was a Heineken commercial. And uh, essentially it was kind of a, a social experiment. Mind you how authentic it was. I don't know. It was a commercial. But yeah, no. they, 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 every, everybody from every political spectrum was getting over, uh, talking over a beer. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> That's a good one. I'd like to buy the world a Heineken. Right. <laughs> um, well, I, I appreciate this conversation, Adam. Um, I like the fact that you're making your life's work um, to get people that don't necessarily see eye to eye to try to come up with this awful, dirty word that we call compromise. Um, and, and the, and we're trying to get people to collaborate and, and find some common ground and, um, you know, <laughs> to subtitle your book, how to work with people you don't agree with or like, or trust. Um, but I, man, for, for the, for the fate of the country, my country, for the fate of a lot of countries, I'm, I'm hoping that, um, we're going to find some, some nuggets of wisdom, um, and, and definitely work towards that. So a matter of fact, speaking of which, uh, tell everybody where they can find your book, your social media, all that good stuff. 
Okay, well, uh, thanks. And um, I know it can be done. I've seen it, even in the most difficult circumstances. And uh, it's one of these things that's simple, uh, just not easy. So the book is an attempt to, to spell out how to do it and what very specifically can you do tomorrow to be able to to work not just with your friends and colleagues, but also with with strangers and opponents. Um, uh, the book's called Collaborating with the Enemy, How to Work with People You Don't Agree With or Like or Trust. Uh, you can find it anywhere you can find books. And uh, my website is adamkahane.com, A-D-A-M-K-A-H-A-N-E.com. And that has all the information about uh, this book and my previous books and and the, the the methods for using this this approach. Adam, again, I thank you so much for being on. Uh, I want to make sure that everybody you know knows where to find you because I, I again love your work and uh, man, at some point um, <laughs> we're going to get people together and like I, I love how you said these things are simple but not easy and and hopefully we can start working for some of these solutions. All right, Adam Kahane, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Don. We'd love to hear your feedback. Leave your comments, questions, and suggest show topics at startedupinnovation.com. Follow us on Twitter at Let's Start Ed Up and facebook.com slash startedup. We're back next week with a new episode. 